I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. We talk very often about empowering women, something that I'm truly passionate about. But I think we should also talk about empowering men. Because when men rise to their responsibility, we create a better world. My guest today is a renowned authority on the topic of empowering men. Dr. Robert Glover is the author of the brilliant although a bit controversial, best-selling classic, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And I know your mind would immediately jump into what's wrong with being a nice guy? Why would we no longer want nice guys? And I'd ask you to hold that thought for now. I'll ask him that question as soon as we start. But let me just tell you that through his book, his classes, his therapy group, Robert has helped thousands of nice guys transform from being passive, sometimes resentful victims, to empowered, fully integrated, and responsible men. And in doing so, he not only transformed their professional careers and intimate relationships, but the impact that through this transformation they could bring to the world. Before we get started, though, I will ask you to stay open-minded for this conversation. It may sometimes trigger you the wrong way. And I also want you to understand that there is nothing in the nice guy syndrome that we will discuss that demonizes being nice. As a matter of fact, it defines what being nice and responsible and impactful is all about. So listen closely. So while I wait for Robert to join, let me tell you about something that I think you may like. Remember my friend Dan Murray Sartre, who was my guest on episode 14 back in June? He hosts one of Europe's most successful podcasts, a podcast called Secret Leaders, which normally interviews major artists, tech entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and so on, usually world-class leaders who are notoriously private and very hard to pin down, and so... Dan usually manages to get them to speak on his podcast when they normally don't speak on other, you know, to other public media in general. So he's launching on October 27th, season six of his podcast. And this time he'll also be hosting many guests that will discuss topics that I think you will be interested in. Arlen Hamilton, for example, who started her venture capital firm when she was homeless Uh, We'll be there to discuss representation and diversity. I think that would be very interesting. Uh, James Clear, who is the author of Atomic Habits, uh, will discuss the science of habits, something that I believe is very important for happiness, how to build uh, habits of happiness is very, very important. And then uh, the incredible Alain de Baton, who was uh, definitely one of the most loved episodes or guests here on Slow Mo, episodes 29 and 30, is going to be on Secret Leaders too. And you know Alain, so God knows what he's going to talk about this time, but I'm sure you will love it. 
So uh, check it out, Secret Leaders. I think you may like it. There you are. There you are too. So, so you know what, Robert? <laughs> One of the in most interesting experiences I've had with No More Mr. Nice Guy was this. It came recommended to me at the stage of my life where I was perceived by others, if you want, because of my public work to be wise. So I was like, okay. yeah, who's, who's giving me this? It's like, oh, you know what? And every page at the beginning, like I, I think I read the first page and I was like, oh, that's that might not be for me. I'm, I'm a nice guy. I like to be a nice guy, mm -hmm. right? And then literally every single paragraph afterwards, I was like, oh, yes, I do that stuff. Oh, is this guy spying on me? Like, oh my God, yes, that's exactly me, right? And, and then, of course, you know, I was like, seriously, there is something there. Is this like a very well-known pattern? And then I got into that bit where I said, but hey, what's wrong with being a nice guy? And that's exactly when you hit me. It's like, yes, there is something wrong with being a nice guy. Now, I don't think my listeners are fully aware of this. I'm going to recommend very strongly for every single one of them, man or woman, to read the book. But let's brief them very quickly. What's wrong with being a nice guy? Well, I, I, there's a reason I put that information in the very first chapter of the book. Because, yeah, I, I, I was like you. I was a self-proclaimed nice guy. I thought, that's, that's a good thing. Why doesn't everybody think that way? Why doesn't everybody be generous and kind and concerned and compassionate? And, and those are good qualities. But what I first began discovering in me and then began noticing other, other men I was working with as a therapist was this belief system that if I'm, if I'm a good guy, if I do everything right, then I'll be liked, I'll be loved, I'll get my needs met. And what that really often translates to in the, is the nice guys becoming chameleons where we try to become what we think other people want us to be, to get their approval, to get their love, to get sex. And we hide things about us that we think might get a negative reaction from other people. And so there's not a real us there. There's not an authentic, honest, transparent self. And, you know, it's kind of like we're constantly you're looking at our finger, holding it up, see which way the wind's blowing and what's the right thing to do here. So as I go into the book, there's a lot of consequences of that. Nice guys are often dishonest. They're often frustrated and resentful. They rarely have good, healthy boundaries. They often give to get, so they're manipulative. And they often have a lot of hidden behavior that they, they keep hidden, sometimes from themselves. But no, no, but hold, hold on. Let's, let's not skim through that because I think that's really the core of the issue. Sure. The, the, the core of the issue is that we tell ourselves that by being nice, we're actually nice, but we're not because being nice sometimes leads us to be dishonest because we don't want to show that we're not nice. Is, is that yeah. how it, how it that's, works? That's exactly right. And, and how I actually started my own nice guy recovery, I was in my second marriage and I was doing everything I, I could to please my, my new wife. And about two, three years into, into the marriage and me just, you know, doing everything under the sun I could think of to make her happy, keep her in a good mood, keep her wanting to have sex with me. And, and she announced, she says, I, I can't take it anymore. What? Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks you're such a nice guy. You're nice to everybody else, but you're not so nice to me. And I'm thinking, I'm nice to you all the time. I'm always trying to make you happy. And she said, you, you, I, I can't take it. I'm going to leave if you don't go get help. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're the one who's unhappy and angry and moody all the time. And she said, I can't take your passive aggressiveness anymore. Now, I, I was in my 
early 30s to mid 30s. I already had a PhD in marriage and family therapy, and I didn't really know what she was even saying when she said, I can't take your passive aggressiveness anymore. And, and so I actually did go to a 12-step group and to therapy and then joined a men's group, all trying to figure out why me being a nice guy didn't make her happy. So the core piece that she was objecting to, it was just the tip of the iceberg, right? Me being passive aggressive, me expressing my anger in indirect roundabout ways. But it also involved, you know, me, me hiding things I thought she might react negatively to, not telling her what I really thought, what I really wanted, not telling her if I was upset about something. Sometimes I would just let that stuff build until it would all just kind of blow up. And uh, she used to, my ex-wife referred to this as my victim pukes. And man, <laughs> it, they were not nice. They were not nice at all. So yeah. here I'm on one extreme, I'm passive aggressive, expressing my anger really indirectly, you know, pokes, jabs, put downs, embarrassing her in public, not following through on things, or just flat blowing up and, you know, puking everything I've been rehearsing about. I wanted to say, you know, that's not so nice. And, you know, after some of those victim pukes, she would ask me, how long has this been bothering you? And I'd think about it and go, I don't know, six months or so. And she Mm -hmm. goes, did it ever cross your mind to just talk to me about this? And I said, no, honestly not. It it never entered my mind that maybe I should just tell you I'm upset about something. That, That was all that hiding, the repressing, the avoiding that was just one example of how I wasn't so nice. Yeah, but but then but that but that but then you explain this so clearly. It's because of that contract that was never the signed. Covert contracts. Yeah, yeah, there's there's three of them. Three of them that have never been signed. And I talk about those in the book. But I've been I've been working on me and with nice guys for 20 years since the book came out. So I've really honed this down to three basic covert contracts of nice guys. And they're covert, they're hidden. We're not even often conscious and nobody else has signed off on the contract, as you said. But basically, they're these three things. And they're all if-then propositions. And they're all basically manipulative. They're giving to get. So covert contract number one, if I'm a good guy, whatever that means, then I will be liked, loved, and the people I want to have sex with will want to have sex with me. And, and, and we can come back to all three of these, but all of them are highly ineffective. Covert contract number two is that if I meet your needs without you having to ask, then you will meet my needs without me having to ask. Yeah. All kinds of problems with that one. Totally. Uh, covert contract number three, if I do everything right, and I'm the scorekeeper, by the way, I got a big scoreboard, you know. In, in, in yeah, right, way. as per my yeah. view of right. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the judge, jury, of, official, you know, uh, whatever. If I do everything right, then I will have a smooth, problem-free life. Now, mm-hmm. of course, life is not smooth and problem-free, but yeah. nice guys have this Peter Pan magical thinking, yeah, I can just get it right, and then everything will go fine at work, and you know, my boss will never be upset, or my wife will never be unhappy, or women will like me and love me and want to be with me. I mean, th- th- you know, I, my book's written to men, but women do these totally. things as well. You know, I, they've got I, the I, same so I'll, tell you, I'll tell you openly, huh? this is the most important book on the planet for women to read, because in reality... The reason a man becomes a nice guy is a woman. I mean, again, this was so eye-opening at the beginning of the book that, you know, the fact that we grow up to a mother and then go to school where 90% of the teachers in young age are women and then Mm -hmm. go, you know, and, and we get influenced in a very interesting way, but by what women didn't like about their men. 
not really what they want in men. And so we yeah. grow up being nice guys because we want to please women. That, that is a huge, huge piece of it is, is wanting that validation from women, wanting the love of women, wanting uh, to have a girlfriend, someone to connect with. And of course, you know, wanting sex and, um, and, you know, gay men, yeah, they translate it the same way, but I think a lot of it still comes going back to, to the early influence of, of women in our life. And that's not to put blame on women in any way, because a lot of this is really put in place and triggered culturally because, you know, for the last hundred years or so, fathers have not been overly involved with their sons. And so, you know, most of the, our early influence has been from women and by mm-hmm. default, not that that's anybody, not that that's any woman's fault, but I, I often say, like you mentioned, the school system, the third grade not only needs to master his reading, writing, and arithmetic, but figure out how to please a woman. You know, what, mm-hmm. what do I have to do to, to get approval and you know, even move on to the next grade? Now, a core problem is, is the male brain is not really good at figuring out what, what's really most important to the female brain. So that, that leads to a lot of frustration. I think, I think that's a very, very politically correct statement. Let's, let's re-say this, Robert, in the right way. We have no clue, right? Until, <laughs> we have no clue. <laughs> exactly. Until, until we get educated, which I think is really the eye-opening. I want, I want to go back to the, to, to the covered contracts, right? So we think that if we are nice, if we're good, okay, mm-hmm. then we will get what we want. Right. If we give, then we will get back without asking for what we want. Exactly. Okay. And that if we do everything right, hmm, uh, life will be perfect. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I want us to pause here for a second for every one of our listeners to actually think if any of those statements are true at all. Because, because at the core of the issue is, you know, how often do you give and not get back, not because of bad intentions on the other side, but because they don't know what you want yeah. because you haven't said it, right? How often are you nice, but life is not nice back to you? Yeah. How often uh, do you do you do things right, but things don't go right? They go wrong sometimes. And, and at the core of this whole idea is if you haven't signed that, that contract, don't, don't expect that contract to be kept, right? I mean, it's never been signed. It's never been signed, and and nice guys live this contract in every aspect of life. You know, they play it out at work. They play it out in their relationship with women. Basically, they play it out with God and the cosmos. You know, <laughs> hey, I'm I'm doing it all right. How come how come everything doesn't just work out the, the way it should go? Now, add another piece to this that, that I go into in the book is that especially around the, the getting our needs met. Nice guys are terrible receivers. We're not good at getting our needs met. Most every nice guy I've ever worked with, includes me, feels like we're doing something wrong if we have needs and want someone to help us get them met, that we're bad, that someone's going to be mad at us. And so, for example, while we're out there giving to, quote, get by through our covert contracts, not only do we not express what we need or want, we tend to surround ourselves with people that are the least capable usually have actually given anything back. And if people do try to give back, we don't let them. You know, pretty much every woman I've ever been with in my adult life says, Robert, you're really difficult to give to. And, I know, you know exactly. What and saying, and yeah. I, I've had to address that. I've had to accept the reality of that, that by making myself so needless and wantless, that it's challenging for people to find some space to even come in and, and give to me and get the joy of giving to me because mm. for most people giving is is a joyous thing and i tell nice guys all the time you know you you being a terrible receiver robs people of the joy of giving 
let people give to you. And uh, that's, that's really almost a paradoxical worldview for, for most nice guys. So, so the, reason we, the reason nice guys will do this is because they believe that it takes away from the contract. Like if I, if I receive, then basically I am less worthy to get the contract you know, fulfilled. You know what? Honestly, this is one of those pieces I think varies for every guy. Is, is one of those pieces is, is kind of deep down in, in dark emotional stuff. For a lot of guys, we think, okay, dad's needy and demands all the attention in the family. I won't be like dad. And if I have needs, then I'm like dad and I'm bad. Or my older sibling that's sick or acting out all the time is such a strain on mother. You know, so I'll be just needless and wantless and never a moment's problem. But it, it, it seems at times for many men, and including me, to go even deeper, almost like I'm, I'm evil. I'm bad. I'm, I'm going to be punished severely for having needs. And if people see that I have needs, or if I ask them to help me meet my needs, the response is going to be, you know, annihilating. It feels that strong for, for a lot of nice guys. And so it, it really is excruciating when I work with men around making their needs a priority. I mean, I'll give, I'll give guys a legal pad and say, let's, let's talk about, you know, you making your needs and wants a priority. Let's start just writing some things down. And guys will just stare at the page and go, I, I don't even know where to start with making my needs a priority. And, and they think they're doing something wrong to say, I want this, I need this. And, and even doing something wronger if they ask somebody to help them with that. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll go do it myself. You know, yeah. nice guys often tend to think, well, I'll just go do it myself. I don't, I don't need anybody else to help yeah. me with this. Yeah. And, but, and it's, it's that whole idea of, uh, I'm tough, you know, I'm, I won't cry. I won't show I have needs. I, you know, I can, I can get those things done. I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a good man. I'm a capable man. And that includes, you know, I don't need any help from outside of me. And which is as wrong as it can be. But at the same time, here we are, giving and giving and giving with the hope of getting back, even though we're not good at receiving and then getting pissed off because nobody seems to give as much back as we give, whether that's a girlfriend, a coworker or God, you know, it's kind of like, how, how come, you know? And so yeah. now we're, we're all pissed off at them when the truth is we we've made it almost impossible for anybody to give to us. It's, it's shocking. It's shocking how true this is. I remember vividly in my mid twenties, you know, when I started to become unhappy about life, I had a, a journey where I, I became very, very successful and very rich, but very unhappy about life. Right. And I, I complained about everything, including why is God not giving me back? And I remember vividly uh, an evening, I must've been 28 or something working my ass off. Right. But then my friends are getting a little bit ahead of me. They're getting better jobs. They're mm. growing. And I remember I sat next to my fish tank, which was like my pride. And I really loved how to make this thing beautiful. And four fish died that day. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like raise my hand to God and I go like, what is wrong with you? It's like, I'm doing everything right here. Right. Why yeah. are you not dealing with me as per the contract, right? Yeah. Why, why am I not getting back, right? And it's so cathartic to swear at God, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually, I, I know you're not very religious, but I actually am quite religious. I'm like, yeah, I, I, was just, I, I, yeah, I was just debating the agreement. It's like, isn't that what they told me? That if I was going to be good, I was going to get things back, right? Yes. But, but, but here's the dilemma, Robert. And I think this is really very eye-opening for a lot of people. We 
Let, let's take relationships, right? So, so because relationships are a big part of unhappiness in the world, and, and it's a big part of my focus in my work on happiness. So we nice guys or men in general, even, even the ones that are not really nice, we don't get exactly what women want, right? We assume that women want us to be nice, okay? So we act nice and it pisses women off because in all reality, women think they want us to be nice, but in yeah. reality, they don't. Nice actually bores them and, as you said, even repulses them. That's the pissed off. Mm. And and that that is a that is a complex statement to say, but it's actually a very simple statement to solve if you get it right. Mm -hmm. But but by saying honestly, give a woman what she wants, not what she thinks she wants. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we could parse this apart. And as you're right, we're, we're starting to tread in, into areas. So he, here's the thing. And, and you know, we can dive you know, more into this because it's, it's related, but it's another big piece. Is here's, here's number one, I, I've been telling men for a long time that for women to experience attraction and sexual arousal towards a man and want to stay with him over time, they have to experience what I call emotional tension. Hmm. Now, women say, oh, I want a nice guy. But then when I say, well, why do they go off with the jerks? Yeah. Well, the jerks create emotional tension. Now, for women, I found it doesn't matter if that emotional tension is positive or negative. They just need it to feel attraction and arousal towards a man. Nice creates absolutely no emotional tension. If I'm doing everything under the sun for you and trying to make you happy, there's no tension. And that is, is, is boring. But there's even a bigger piece is that the nice guy, the guy that's giving to get is actually coming from a really empty place. And that covert contract is basically a big emotional hose that we want to hook up to the woman that says, look, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be different than the other men. I won't be a jerk. I'll give to you. I'll let you treat me badly. I'll, blah, blah, blah. And in return, you know, what's, what's that in return that we're wanting? That's the big emotional hose that we want to come fill our empty bucket because we haven't been doing a good job of filling our own bucket. Mm. In my experience, overflowing buckets when 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 a person is taking really good care of themselves taking responsibility for their needs surrounding themselves with people who are available and want to help them get their needs met people professionals institutions hobbies you know practices then that bucket's full i found that is amazingly attractive to all things feminine money opportunity women dogs cats babies but when that bucket is empty and we're going to the feminine opportunity, money, adventure, women with an empty bucket and a hose that we want to, you know, get them to, you know, to fill our bucket, it repulses them. And I say it angers. It does them. repulse them. It's basically after a while they go like, where's the man in that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's disgusting. And, and, you know, I, I've had so many women say, you know, if a man can't stand up to me, how will he ever stand up for me? Or if a man lets me walk all over him, why, you know, as I heard uh, David Data say, what woman would be turned on by a man whose greatest passion is her? And so this nice guy thing that we think we're doing the right thing to please women, and we think, because we've heard them complain about the jerk, so we're not trying not to be that. Uh, the truth is we create no emotional tension. We've got the big emotional hose that we want to hook up to them. And there's no sense of self in us for them to actually be drawn to. 
And then we're, then we're perplexed and can't figure out why I've done everything right. How come I don't have a girlfriend? How come I never get laid? How come, how come, how come? And then the resentments build up because we've made women our God and say, okay, I'm doing this for you, God. Look, I'm doing it for you. You know, like me back, you know, like you and your fish tank and, and, you know, God, how come? And then when that resentment builds up, women can sense that they yeah. can sense our, our, our bitterness and resentment. We're, you know, we're trying to cover it up with the facade of niceness, but they sense our bitterness and resentment and they want to get away from it as far away from it as they can. Yeah. But so, so, so here we are, you and I, two dudes, you know, two dudes with bald heads talking about what women want. So there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. There, there, that's gotta be a recipe for disaster somewhere. <laughs> no, but seriously. So women listening to this, if you disagree, find us on, on social media and say you disagree. But if you do agree, please find us on social media and say that you agree, because I think this is very important. You know, if men out there, because women also complain that men are not giving them what they want. But you know, sure. if, if men out there get to know that a woman actually wants a man to stand up to her, you know, when it's right, lovingly, Sure. You know, caringly, but but she wants that in her life, and that the constant nice guy is a turn off. I think men need to know that. Now, to talk about emotional tension again. What is in an emotional? Is an emotion supposed to be attraction? What is an emotional tension? Okay, the way I describe emotional tension, you know, the, the example I used to give to men to illustrate is, you know, just go watch a typical chick flick. You know, there's a, a man and a woman and there's tension between them. You know, m- maybe thinks she's a, you know, a ball breaking bitch and he, she thinks he's a, you know, an arrogant jerk. And we know they're going to get together. You know mm-hmm. why? Because we've seen the formula enough times. Exactly. Or, yeah. or, or there's some social thing keeping them apart or whatever. But we know they're going to get together because there's tension in it. But, you know, we, we watched the first act of the movie and, you know, all that's building and we know they're going to get together. Okay. End of act one, they do, they get together. It's great. Most of act two, they're, everything's great. You know, fireworks, you know, adventures, great pillow talk, all that stuff. But towards the end of act two, something happens to break that tension up for guys watching the movie. We go, okay, they fell in love. Let's leave for the women. No, 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 no. We we need more tension. So the end of act two, something happens to, to break up. There's this beautiful union. His, his ex-girlfriend comes around looking sexy, wanting to give it another try, or, you know, their parents forbid them to see each other, or the woman thinks she's been neglecting her career, so she goes to Africa to dive into the, you know, and they're miserable, and they're apart, and, and, and women are just soaking this up, and we men are going, can we leave now? Is this over yet? <laughs> and then, and so for most of, of Act 3, there's this tension between them. We see they're both miserable. We know they should be together, but they're both being such stupid idiots that they, you know, and then finally, their friends or circumstance find a way to trick them to, you know, come back into each other's presence, and then, and then they just they resist, they resist. That's all tension, right? And then finally, they give in. Right. Mm. And then they both profess, I'm so stupid. No, I'm so stupid. And, you know, you know, they're beautiful. Everything's great, blah, blah, blah. And then the credits roll and they have the wedding scene and everybody's dancing and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, we've seen it a thousand times. They keep making that same movie over and over again. Yeah. Why? Because women keep paying to go see that movie. So it doesn't matter if it's sex in the city. It doesn't matter if it's daytime drama. It doesn't matter if it's The Bachelor. It doesn't matter if it's nighttime soap, Grey's Anatomy. It's the emotional tension that that arouses the the female. Now, we men like some degree of emotional tension, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get it in our sporting events, but they've all got a clock. Right? They end at a certain time. Mm-hmm. We'll mm-hmm. go watch, you know, Sly or Vin or The Rock or whoever being in an action movie, but we know it's going to end in two hours, right? And we know it's all ridiculous. Um, but, but we don't like emotional tension in our personal relationships. Remember, yeah. We want them smooth and calm and easygoing and predictable. So here's the problem. I believe in general, I'm going to make general statements. So in general, women need emotional tension to feel attraction to a man, to be sexually aroused by him. And and that can be caused by 10,000 different things. For men, our emotional tension towards a woman is usually caused by one or two things. Usually her boot, her butt. (laughs) But women is a multiple of things. And, And we men can't predict those. We just can't. We think we can, but we can't. You know, we think, oh, I'll drive a hot car or, you know, I'll make a bunch of money or, you know, I'll, I'll have six back abs and, you know, that, that, that will do the trick. But, you know, women have told me, I, I love your hands or I love your shaved head or I love your kind eyes or I love your kissable lips. Those aren't the things I thought were going to get me laid, but, but, but they create an emotional tension for, mm-hmm. for, and it varies, of course, in every woman. So for the woman, they need the emotional tension to be attracted to a man. Uh, have sexual arousal and and to want to stay connected to him and sexually aroused by him over time. I've been a yeah. marriage therapist for over 30 years. And of course, that's one of the, just the biggest complaints men and women both have in long-term relationships. The sex just died. So my theory is, is that on the other side of that equation is in general, men don't like emotional tension, especially in intimate personal relationships. So not only do we not create any, by the way, we live or interact with women, which therefore that women have nothing to be attracted to or aroused by. Again, that niceness doesn't create tension for women. Totally. So either we don't create it, or if there is some tension in the relationship, we try to solve it as quickly as we can and get everything back to good. So, you know, we don't have to deal with, you know, that noise because it is noise to us men. Or if a woman's creating what I call negative emotional tension. Now, you know, this sounds really weird to men, but for women, they don't really care if the emotional tension is positive or negative. It totally true. It, right. So if they're, if they're slamming cabinets or throwing dishes in the sink or criticizing you or flirting with your, your best friend, that that's all emotional tension. And for most people, for, for the men and women, usually both, it all feels ne- is negative, but it's still emotional tension. So then what do most guys do? We go try to solve what's causing that tension, get it back to good. So while the woman, again, general statements, there's every woman's different, every man's different, but there's generalizations. While the woman's needing the emotional tension, negative or positive, good or bad, it doesn't matter. She's got to feel something. The guy doesn't want to feel anything. So he's doing his damnedest to put those fires out every time they come up. And then, then we men can't figure out why women either aren't attracted to us in the first place or after they get to know us on, after a second or third date and we're trying our best to please them and get them to like us, why they never call us back again, why they ghost us and never come around or, or why our wife after, you know, two or three years in a marriage, just, you know, it's just too tired, not interested in sex anymore. And we can't figure that out. This is really interesting because in an interesting way, it's, it's definitely one of the biggest challenges what happiness is relationships and one of the biggest challenges with relationships is that the sex dies out right and yeah. and what you're saying here is actually quite interesting because the nature of a steady relationship by the man and also by the woman is to try and reduce tension and increase predictability it's like yes. hey can we make this easy 
right? But then when it's easy, it's not hot anymore. It's not exciting yeah. anymore. And you're absolutely spot on. Huh? I mean, negative or positive emotional tension, the, the reason why makeup sex and the, the morning after is wonderful is because it's tension. Right? But all the tension build up. And, and you, you've hit the nail on the head. You may be familiar with this book. It's, it's one of my favorites by Esther Perel called oh, yeah. Mating in Captivity. You know, uh, just a brilliant relationship therapist. And, and her basic premise is, that intimacy basically kills sex. Mm-hmm. That the the more we get to just know somebody and begin to you know work for predictability, but maybe closeness and comfort over time, it it just takes the tension. She doesn't call it that, but it takes that the hotness out of relationship. And you know, as, a, as again as a marriage therapist, you know, we're taught well, you know, help people get rid of all those things you get that get in the way of intimacy. You know, being known and known, knowing yourself and being known by another person. And intimacy is great. And certain types of intimacy where we're working to make sure everybody's happy and everything's clicking okay over time tend to just you know sap the juice out out of the sexual yeah. part of it. Yeah. Now, so so I, I want to come back to all of this because I think the whole story we're trying to build for listeners here is there seems to be something needed for a relationship to succeed, but that's not what is the headline of the, of the news says, right? There is something hidden in the article that we need to understand, but the headline says, make it stable, make it easy, give me all my needs. But the truth is this is not uh, there. And I think the other incredibly powerful proof of that was the incredible success of Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the whole idea of, you constantly talk about what you call misplaced beliefs, belief systems, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and the whole belief system that we start with, that I laughed my head off when I heard you say this once, sex is a sin, it's bad, <laughs> it's evil, and so and so keep it to the one that you love, yeah, right? Save, <laughs> keep it for the one you love. Yeah, yeah. Like save it for the one that you love. And, 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 and that whole idea of preconditioning that says women don't like sex as much as men, okay? Women are doing, giving you sex as a favor, so you might as well pay for it. When suddenly Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't only say that a woman is as interested in sexuality and maybe some extremes of sexuality as a man, but even a a very clear statement that a woman actually might be interested in the man to be a little more dominant than the current story of feminism is making it seem. Do do you believe that to be true? Sensitive topic, we have to... No, no, actually, I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to (laughs) dive into it. The backstory for me with Fifty Shades of Grey is that I read it Oh, say six years ago, you know, when it was in its heyday, because you know, I wanted to know what what are what are these ninety million people, women that have bought this book? What are they buying it for? Now, I'd also had the book, The Count of Monte Cristo, oh, recommended yes. to me. So I actually read The Count of Monte Cristo and Fifty Shades of Grey at the same time. I'd read a chapter of one and then go to the chapter of the other, and and back and forth on my Kindle, you know, reading one. And I promise you, after a couple of chapters of Fifty Shades of Grey, I, I couldn't wait to get through each chapter to get back to the Count of Monte Cristo. You know, that was, that, that's classic writing. That's classic guidebook. That's such a great book. And, and I was you know, really drawn to that. But here was my takeaway of Fifty Shades of Grey. I think, this is my, my thought, my spin. I think maybe the media mismeasured 
what was going on in that in, in that phenomenon. And we said, oh, that women really are into, you know, softcore BDSM. And, and I, I want to come back to, to how women are, because the book I'm writing now, I make the statement that women are the most sexually evolved creatures on the entire planet, women, human being women, and that they are sexual Ferraris. And in contrast, men tend to be sexual mopeds. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if you want, we'll come we're, back to that. We definitely will come back to that. <laughs> okay. So the, my my read on the Fifty Shades of Grey is I think we got too caught up in the in the softcore BDSM. As I what what frustrated me as a guy reading that book is that the woman you know has got the, this fantasy guy you know billionaire you know he he flies helicopters you know he's he's he plays piano concert piano you know he's drop dead gorgeous every you know but he's you know way above her she's way down here she's you know a college student i get if i remember right when she made some journalists and what was most interesting to me was not the bdsm part of the book it was the dynamic of what went on in the woman's head totally. throughout the story totally. that is oh this guy couldn't possibly want me he couldn't possibly be interested in me who am I? I'm, and it's all tension. I'm not good enough. And then when she starts being attracted to and turned on by the BDSM aspects of it, then from there on out, she starts trying to change him. She loves what he does to her. And she, she's constantly trying to pull that in and modify it and put, put wraps on it. And, you know, yeah, I love what you do to me, but quit being the way you are. You know, keep, you know, and, and it reminded me of, a, of an article I read in The Onion a few years ago, you know, the satirical online magazine that it was titled Woman Turns Boyfriend into a Guy She No Longer Wants to Be With. <laughs> story of time, right? This is so, a story as old as time. So I my read on 50, the 50 Shades of Grey was not so much that there's millions of women out there seeking the BDSM, even though, yes, Absolutely. I do believe. Having being able to trust a the, the strength and fierceness and dominance of a man that's open hearted and loving and, and trustworthy is powerful women. I mean, I, I have no doubt of that. It's amazingly powerful. I teach men that. But I think the part that women were flocking to that book about was the neurosis of the woman herself and how she couldn't just accept this amazing man wanting her and she couldn't just accept him the way he was no matter how amazing and prince charming and dreamy he was she had to change him to something that she felt like she could manage or made sense to her brain i think that's what women flock to because my guess is that's what's going on in a lot of their brains the majority of the time is they keep finding these things that they're head over heels about the guy, but they want to keep finding things to be unhappy about and keep changing, even though the things are lighting them up and arousing them. No, but I don't want it to be that way. Let's see if we can change it. And so mm. I think that's what re women were relating to most in that mm. book, not the soft core BDSM. That was actually the most boring part of the book. The, the, the BDSM part, just like, Okay, I'm snoozing now. You know, let, let, totally. uh, let, let's get back to the Count of Monte Cristo. That's interesting. <laughs> exactly. But totally, but that's so, so interesting because once again, it's not the violent part of it, okay? But it's that whole idea of, I'm, I'm sorry to say, eventually, you know, Hollywood still turned it into a chick flick because eventually she sort of changes him. She gets him to be 
exactly what he what she wants, or oh, at least closer to where she that's wants. That's so sad. That's so sad. Yeah, that's the that's the third movie, and the third movie is like I'm I'm sure for every woman is like oh my god, that's amazing. I can do that too, which I have to say is misleading because men were la- rarely ever change that drastically. I believe for for a woman, yeah. as a matter of fact, if they do, they'll probably just be nice guys, right? Yeah. But at the, yeah. but at the same time, you know, I think most men were like. Seriously, is that how it's all, all always going going to end? And I think that misalignment between the views of men and the views of women is really where we end up confused. I heard you once say, "Tell her no," because if you really think about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey and the part that turned a lot of ninety million women on, was that he was in charge. He yeah. was capable. Okay, he uh, had the means. But he sort of, he, he, he set the rules in an interesting way, right? Is that, is. is that true of every relationship? That there is a need for a little bit of, I'm in charge here. I'm, I can take care of this. You know, and again, I'm going to make generalizations. because I can't say it's true in every, because every relationship is different. You know, my view is all men and women have some degree of what I'll call masculine traits, some degree of what I'll call feminine traits. My, my, my break it down to the most bare bones is masculine does. Masculine penetrates. So it's the masculine in us that goes out and gets stuff done. The feminine in us is the part that is done too. It's the part of us that is penetrated for good or for bad. And I think most of us have a default where we default more one direction than the other. We default more masculine or we default more feminine. Now, it, it, it'd be too simple to say, well, men always just default masculine and women always default Spot feminine. On. Absolutely. There, there, there's a lot, a lot of women that have a very strong masculine side, a lot of men that have a very strong feminine side that default that way. Totally. So I, wanna, I don't, I don't want to make too big of a generalization, but I do want to use this as, as a teaching tool and something to help both men and women better understand what does help relationships tend to work better. So I think in every relationship, to have a sense of polarity, some sense of tension and excitement, somebody does by nature need to move towards the default masculine and the other person needs to move towards the default feminine. Now that can be switched back and forth. There, there can be a reciprocity. But what I've found in years of couple counseling in my own relationships, that for it to work well, for the reciprocity to work, the most def- by default masculine person in the relationship needs to set up and take the step up and take the, take the set the tone and take the lead. Now that it's not about control. It's not even about dominance in the way that, you know, we hear it spoken of. What is showing up with a plan and being open to, you know, discussion, negotiation, movement, but it's just, you know, I've I've asked women countless times, how do you feel when your man says, what do you want to do tonight? You want to do something tonight? You want to go out? You want to get dinner? Where do you want to go? Women consistently tell me they hate it. Now they'll make the decision if, if we burden them with it. But most women in society nowadays have to be in their masculine so much, whether they're raising kids, that's masculine, whether they're going to work, that's masculine. Just getting ready to go on the date is masculine, all the things they got to do, right? And so for, for us men to burden the woman with more masculine decision-making, not that they can't, they can. Many women are a lot stronger than we men. My, wife, my wife's Mexican. And um, so we speak all in Spanish to each other. And she tells me somewhat regularly, and she tells other people that she knows she's got big balls and her balls are bigger <laughs> than mine. 
They are. She's a tough chick. I mean, she grew up eight out of 10 kids, alcoholic family, poverty, Guadalajara, Mexico, being beat by older siblings, beat by neighbors. She's tough, right? I'm, I grew up in a white bread environment, a suburb of Seattle, Washington, filled with Boeing engineers' families, you know? <laughs> but we're very different. But my wife says, I know I got big balls, and I know they're bigger than you, but I don't ever want to feel like my balls are bigger than yours. I don't, ever, I don't want to be with you, and I say jump, and you say, yes, dear, how high? And a story that, that she likes to tell that, that, that I've told a, a few times is early on in our relationship, before we got married, and she bought an old piece of Honda Accord, and I called it Coche Fail, which is ugly car. Her kids love the name. But she, she wanted me to drive if we ever went anywhere. I was, I was living down here part of the year in Mexico, so I didn't have a vehicle here. And I remember one time I was taking her back to work. She owned a spa. And so I'm taking her in her car back to work driving, and the spa was down a one-way street. And so I'm, I'm driving up another one-way street, right angle to it, and she says, you can just pull over here and let me out. And I said, I just calmly said no and kept driving to the next block, which was a one-way street the other way. And then when I turned that street and she says, you can let me out here. And I just said no. And then I came to a stoplight, which would put me on another one-way street. She knew what I was doing. I was just making the block to come back to drop her off right in front of, of her, her, her spa, her space. So I'm waiting now at a stoplight to make two more turns or to get her. And after the, like the second or third time I told her no, she just moves over, gives me a kiss and says, I love it when you tell me no. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, I could let her out at any of those places because it's what she wanted, right? It's what she said she wanted. Let me out here. I'm thinking, no, I'm going to let her out in front of her space. That's three less streets she has to cross, a couple of them busy, to get to her space. That was me looking out for what I thought was best for the two of us. Not me being controlling, not me trying to dominate her. Me just asking myself what feels right, what seems like. And and she gave me a big kiss and said, I love it when you tell me no. Now, is every woman like that? No. But in my experience, again, women have enough shit they got to be in charge of every day that they, they want a man that matches their strengths. They want a man that's got a spine and, you know, and balls and, 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 and can stand up and say, no, I'm doing it this way. They want that fierceness because it, it lets them then relax into a space in which they can, going back to Fifty Shades of Grey, they can, be, they can open up and be done to in ways that feel good. But if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel trusting with the man, if they don't think the man, you know, is man enough to be their man, they won't ever trust enough to open up and be taken. And being taken is the deepest feminine bliss uh, mm. imaginable. And that, and that, that I think is where things become super clear, right? Because if you try to do those things without deserving to be her man, you're a jerk, right? If you mm-hmm. don't try to do those things, you're a nice guy. Yeah. Right? And, and that balance in the middle where I will qualify to be your man by taking charge and being responsible, okay, for what is good for both of us. Yes. Right? Which is that reciprocity, if you want, of I will take charge of a few things because I expect you to take charge of other things. And here they are, by the way, the things that I, I expect from you towards me. 
Well, I know some of you are dying for us to continue this episode right now, while others are probably saying, I beg you, stop. Either way, we have a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to stop this episode here and continue with the next episode, where we're going to dive deep into that idea of the profound struggle between men and women and why are relationships sometimes so difficult. We're going to talk about codependency and how we can build relationships that are resilient, made up of a team that is not necessarily being seen as the same, but rather equal. And I will have to visit, revisit that idea of Ferraris and mopeds. And so We're going to talk about that next week. Before you go, I remind you to follow me on social media. I'm Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, mo.gaudet.personal on Facebook, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, and mgaudet on Twitter. Please feel free to start a conversation, send me recommendations, ask me anything, and I'd love to hear your views on what we keep discussing here in Slow Mo. I love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.